Let us pray together. Gracious God, we often welcome you to be here with us. But you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so instead this morning we ask that you would help us to be present to you since you're already with us. And as we sense the nearness of your presence, may we join what you are doing in our world. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Summoned after midnight, Shifra and Pua race down a dark village path. And entering a slave shack, they find a mother in labor. They encourage and massage and pray with this mother as she sits on her birth stool of two simple stones. With Pua holding her from behind, the mother finally gives birth to a baby boy right into the waiting, strong hands of Shifra. And then these two midwives do something that puts their very lives at risk. They let that child live. They don't throw him into the Nile, but they place him into the loving arms of his mother. Now, since arriving in Egypt 400 years earlier, the number of Israelites has been steadily increasing. But their baby boom has become a great source of anxiety to the Roman or to the Egyptian empire in which they live. And so the Israelites are steadily forced into cruel slavery, and then when a new Pharaoh comes who does not know Joseph, when he comes he now issues an order for all midwives to kill all the male Hebrew offspring. Now the interesting thing is that apparently in the original Hebrew, it's not actually clear whether Shifra and Pua are Hebrew midwives or midwives to the Hebrews. Now, if they are indeed Egyptians, that makes this story even more interesting, doesn't it? Because what this means is that if they are Egyptians, they are crossing ethnic lines to save people who are regarded as a threat to their own. Either way, these two women love and revere the one living God. And God's call is for them to preserve life. And this call trumps the Pharaoh's call for them to destroy it. And in the Bible's first case of civil disobedience, you ever notice that? These two brave women intentionally disobey 
Pharaoh's wicked command. And among the babies that they save is who? Moses. Moses. The one who will later lead the Israelites out of Pharaoh's house of slavery. And so in this story, we see God's redemptive hand working through these two ordinary people to thwart Pharaoh's evil plan and to lay the foundations for their future liberation from Egypt. God, you see, loves to work through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And many others in the, Bible, in the Bible who follow in the footsteps of these two brave women, and we know their names much more than we know Shifra and Puaz, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they refused to worship the golden statue. Queen Esther and Mordecai disobeying Persian laws in order to save their people. How about the three wise men outwitting King Herod and going home by another way? And then later, Peter and the apostles refusing to keep silent about Jesus in the temple. All of these people say with one voice, we must obey God first rather than any other human authority. Now in the Bible, there are too many women whose names we never learn. Amen? The wives of Noah and Lot and Job, who are they? Who are the sisters of Jesus? Amen. How about the Samaritan woman? The Syrophoenician woman? But Shifra and Pua are named. And because of this, we can remember them 3,500 years later and celebrate their faithfulness to God. And notice that the Pharaoh in this story is not named. This last week, I've been asking quite a few of you here at East Chestnut about Shifra and Pua. And sadly, many of us don't know who they are. Why is this? Why aren't they among the heroes of our faith? As they deserve to be. And I'm so grateful that Linda Gaiman Peachy has devoted a full chapter to Shifra and Pua in her new book about courageous women in the Bible, which some of you will have the chance to study in October. I also asked some of you this past week why none of us have ever heard of a person named Shifra or Pua. Does anybody know a Shifra or Pua? Now, one of you right away said back to me, now, Todd, 
Who in their good mind would ever name their daughter Pua? You know where that's going to go in school. A lot of bad directions. But young families, if any of you ever have a daughter coming along, I hope that you will at least put Shifra on your list. In Matthew 16 today, we learn that the church is built upon Peter's confession and our confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the One sent from the heart of God. And Jesus tells us today that though the gates of Hades, Hades, and what he means here are the powers of evil and death and hatred in our world, though they may seem overwhelming, they will never prevail against God's beloved community. Never. And later, through His cross and His resurrection, Jesus will break all the world's cycles of sin and evil and hatred in His own body. He'll overcome evil with good by introducing something amazingly new in our world, a radically new cycle of grace and mercy and reconciliation. He breaks the old cycles and introduces something divinely new. Now today the disciples still believe You have to remember where you are in the story. We haven't gotten to the cross yet. And so the disciples still believe that Jesus has only come to recycle the empire's violence. To fight fire with fire. And so Jesus sternly orders them to remain silent. It's only on the other side of the cross that he'll finally send them out to share the whole truth about him with the whole world. And then in Romans 12 today, we learn that our Lord's active and loving resistance to evil must now become the church's and our way of being in the world. Verse 17, we do not repay evil with evil. Verse 19, we do not seek revenge. We refuse to endlessly recycle the world's violence with more violence. Instead, we now recycle into the world the grace and the mercy that we have received from God. That's what we recycle. Verse 20, we feed our enemies when they're hungry. 
Gives them something to drink when they're thirsty. Verse 21, we are not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. And I would say, if we are faithful to the example of Christ, we must go even further than Paul says. We don't do this to heap coals on our enemies' heads. Have you ever had someone be good to you? With that in their eyes, it doesn't work. And so we overcome evil with the love of Christ blazing in our eyes instead. This week, Catherine Gaiman told me that verse 21, we will not be overcome by evil, but we will overcome evil with good, was one of her mother's most treasured verses. Isn't that beautiful? You see, God's Word is living and active and continues to speak to us generation after generation after generation. Some years ago, after 9-11, the Navy launched an assault ship called the USS New York that's able to deliver 700 Marines for special operations against enemy targets. And what is fascinating about this ship is that its prow, you know the prow, the front part of the ship, was recycled and made from 24 tons of steel melted down from the wreckage of New York's two fallen towers after 9-11. And the motto of this ship, I'm not making this up, never forget. I don't know if I've ever come across a story that reveals so clearly how we often take the harm done to us, the violence done to us, and then recycle it to do even more harm back. A story that shows us how we don't usually beat our swords into plowshares, into plows, but into prows. And along the way, the world's cycle of violence only spins faster and faster and faster out of control. This past week, did you hear Israel's Prime Minister, Netanyahu, what he said? He said, our policy with Hamas is simple. If they fire, they will be struck back seven times. Wow. That makes an eye for an eye seem enlightened, progressive. All around the world this past week, and in our own nation as well, we see this endless and futile recycling of the world's fear and hatred and violence. But our Lord Jesus 
shows us a more excellent way. We creatively and courageously resist the evil around us and in our own souls. And one of the key ways that we do this, Paul tells us today in verse 12, is by persevering in prayer. Here we are again, folks. Learning once again what we've been learning from Jesus all summer long. We each need a way to connect with God on a daily basis. Why? So that we can be recyclers, not of the world's violence and hatred, but of God's love and grace and forgiveness. We're all recycling something. Dear friends, what is your life recycling? As Thomas Keating, a Trappist monk, and a man beloved to me loves to say, when we transmit God's love to others, we awaken the same potential in them. Do you see it? This is what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Awakened this same potential in us. And without him, we just be caught in these endless, endless cycles of revenge. Let me close with a story from our neighborhood up the hill. A year ago, we met a dear neighbor, a retiree named Paul Newbold. And every day he walks around our reservoir park picking up garbage, often with his grandson Caleb in tow. Now Paul is very open with anybody and everybody about the past brokenness in his life. He'll tell anybody that God saved him from his addictions and has now called him to pay it forward to others. I can't change the world, he often tells me, but I can change my little corner of the world. Now, picking up garbage in a park may not seem to you like overcoming evil with good. But I've come to see that it is very much the case. Because you see, a trashed park leads to increased neglect, vandalism, and illegal activity. Pretty soon, parents feel like it's not a safe place for their kids to go. And what's a park without kids? And pretty soon, the shalom, the well-being of the whole neighborhood is deeply compromised. Now last fall, while making his rounds in Reservoir Park, 
Paul suddenly saw he carries a plastic bag, and suddenly he saw that swinging in his plastic bag, poking out of it was a hypodermic needle that nearly poked him in the leg. And soon, more needles were found all over the park. And one sad day, I met Paul and he said, it's over, I quit. It's too risky. And there was great rejoicing in our neighborhood when the person who was discarding these used needles was apprehended and Paul was able to return to his labor of love. At a recent Friends of Reservoir Park meeting in the pavilion in the park, there were testimonies after testimonies about the significant turnaround of that park in recent years. Kids playing everywhere, 50 new trees planted, and a new bike rehabbing ministry in the pump house. And then at the end of this, there was a round of applause for the one person we all knew was responsible for Paul. God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Like Shifra and Pua and Paul and us. God calls us to be the ones who break the world's endless cycles of violence by resisting and overcoming evil with good. Dear friends, In the coming week, what might that mean in your life? Following Jesus isn't a spectator sport. We're here to learn and to grow. What might that mean? Maybe sticking up for someone being bullied at school? Maybe doing the right thing in a business deal? Maybe talking with a person of color about their experience of the police here in Lancaster? Maybe joining an anti-violence vigil? Or the hardest one of all, maybe forgiving you-know-who even though they're probably never going to ask you for forgiveness. In a brief time of silence now, let us listen for the voice of God.